Well, good morning, Trinity. Welcome to everyone that is here with us in person, to those who are joining us in the warm confines of their living room online or wherever. Um, we're glad that you're with us there, too. Cold one this morning. Pipes can freeze, heaters cannot work. But we still have the privilege in the midst of all of that, joy or pain, to gather together, sing, pray, and to hear the Word. And if you have a Bible and we turn to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, we're going to continue on in our series. We took a break for Advent and we had our Global Outreach Sunday to kick off our new year. And we resumed our series in Revelation last week by returning to uh, these seven letters that King Jesus is delivering to the church. And I say it that way to the church because it, it, these letters went to these specific churches mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, but really it was a letter to the whole church everywhere. So there's, a, there's something relevant in each one of them for us today. And so we're going to consider a not great news letter together but hopefully in a way that will be encouraging for us to be awake to how amazing and sufficient God is to us through the gospel. So let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the letter to Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Guys, we come to your word this morning. We certainly need you to be at work in our heads and our hearts. Spirit, would you help uh, shine a spotlight on this, your truth, and shine that spotlight on our hearts so that we too would be awake, awake to your glories, awake by your grace, awake. Help us, we pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On our Global Outreach Sunday that kicked off our new year, we heard from Jeff Willette, on these words from Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The church and the importance of church planting, which we heard from Jeff in that first Sunday of the year, are certainly seen in this verse. The church is to be a light in the dark world. The church is to be a city of refuge and of hope a, on a hill for all to see. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, but it can decline and it can die. Sardis was such a city, such a city on a hill that declined and died. You see, Sardis was positioned on a hill in such a way that there was only one point of access making it well protected. 
in time, they grew overconfident and lazy, and Sardis was eventually sacked twice, no less. In the same way, they didn't even learn from their mistakes. And Sardis was also on a hill that was too small for growth. And so as the decline started to settle in, a new, bigger, better city was built up nearby. By the time of Revelation, Sardis was the city, was a shell of itself, living off of a borrowed reputation, but the decay was clearly evident. And apparently, this wasn't just the city, but the church. The church in Sardis, too, was a shell of itself. As we've been moving through these letters, my hope has been that we've been challenged and encouraged by what we see and hear from King Jesus. He's speaking to the churches so that they would wake up to who he is and what he's done into the life of being the church. And we find that in each of these letters, we've, we've received an analysis from King Jesus, an exhortation and a promise. In our passage this morning, we, we certainly see the analysis of spiritual decline that leads to death, to the death of a church. That's the analysis here. That's a warning to us. And the exhortation that King Jesus gives is, remember, wake up, remember, repent. And the promise that we find in our passage is that King Jesus is happy to identify and fellowship with us as we hold on, as we hold on awake, remembering, keeping together as a church. And so as we move into this, I want us to wrestle with that. This letter is important and it's for us now. And, and so when we think about the letter to Sardis, we see that it is a call to wake up. This letter calls us to wake up to two things that are very important and relevant for us as a church family. The first is the letter calls us to wake up to the seriousness of spiritual decline. Wake up to the seriousness of spiritual decline. Spiritual decline doesn't happen in sudden moments and movements. It happens imperceptibly over time. But the condition is serious and we need to wake up to it. Secondly, we are encouraged from this letter to wake up to the sufficiency of gospel wakefulness. I'll explore that further once we get there. But to wake up to the sufficiency of gospel wakefulness. So let's move into this together. The seriousness of spiritual decline is this. Spiritual decline really starts as borrowing from the past, but very dead in the present. Borrowing from the past and dead in the present. In the present, excuse me. The church has a is is given a vitality, and it's found in the witness of the church, especially to the surrounding culture. In verse one, we see that the sort of intro into the letter goes. Like this, the angel of the Lord or of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So we're getting, a, again, a picture of, of what Revelation is like. It's filled with a lot of symbolism, and those symbolisms are very intense, and they speak to spiritual truths. And there's a picture here that's sort of dual in nature. 
One, King Jesus is over everything. He has everything in his hands. The church, the world, the cosmos, all of it. It's all in his hand. He's sovereign over everything. If there's anyone in the authority position to speak to all the churches at any time, in any place, it's King Jesus. All right? So it's his show. That's what that verse tells us. And the other is, it tells us a little bit about us, the church. Is that we're to be shiny. We're to be bright. We're to be a light in a dark world, a city on a hill that can be seen. That our, our idea of being a church isn't just to eke through life. It highlights the role of the church to be a gospel witness to the culture around. And it tells us that we have one who has the power to give us to be that gospel witness. Just that opening gives us those indicators, those ideas of what it means to be the church. Well, yet there is the threat and the reality and the challenge of spiritual decline. Verse 1 continues. I know your works. Let's just stop there. Leave the verse there. I know your works. All right, we've been through other letters, and some of those letters had very strong words from King Jesus to the church. But those letters also had a lot of commendable things that Jesus was giving to the church. This is it. That's it. I know your works, and they're not great. (laughs) This is a hard letter, so let's continue. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. No commendation from Jesus in this letter. Here we have a church living off of reputation, but the present reality is not vitality of faith and making much of the gospel but rather the spiritual decline that has so gripped the church that it could be called dead. What I would say is it used to be church. We used to be this. We used to do that. We used to. Used to looks back to these quote-unquote glory days. But a used-to-be church longing or pining for glory days, that's incapable of fueling our faith with vitality and worship, strengthening us in our community, emboldening us in our mission. Looking back like that, like a used-to-be church, won't bring present strength or future hope. It's incomplete. And that's actually what King Jesus says next in verse 2, he looks and he says in his assessment and analysis, he says, for I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. They stopped. They stopped. They borrowed from their past efforts and they stopped in the present. They stopped making much of his grace through the proclamation of the gospel. They stopped saying the gospel of Jesus is everything. It brings about the rescue and redemption of sinners such as us, and it fuels us in our worship, and it it gives us great purpose in our community, and it emboldens us for our mission. They stopped. The Sardis church was probably facing very similar pressures that the other churches and these other letters that we've considered, they were probably facing all kinds of pressures around them to compromise with the culture in which they lived. 
And as they faced those pressures, they decided at some point to keep a low profile so as to not get unwanted attention. And maybe that desire was out of the fear of persecution. They didn't want all of that heat and smoke from the world. And maybe their desire was because they didn't want to lose the cultural comforts they had by keeping a low profile. Either way, they stopped witnessing to the grace and glory of Jesus in their community. And Jesus is saying, you're dead. Let that settle for a second. It was either too costly or uncomfortable to make much of Jesus in their assessment. Spiritual decline is a serious threat to a church, to a life, to a heart. And just like Sardis, the city, there used to be something. There used to be something in this church. There used to be some life to this church. There used to be some vitality to the church. But now, it's just a sad reminder of what was, not what is. So Trinity, I mean, we just got to be honest and real and be confronted by the question, do you want to be a used-to-be church? Do you want that story to be yours? Do you want to keep such a low profile so as to not get unwanted attention because bringing a lot of attention to the grace and and gospel of Jesus will, will, will be challenging. We'll have opposition and obstacles, but it will have life and warmth and vitality, and there will be incredible things that happen in the midst of that. So Trinity, do you want to be a used to be church? I hope the answer is no. Or if we're not sure, let's consider at least together, either for our encouragement or for our conviction, let's consider together the call to wake up. The call to wake up. Wake up to the sufficiency of gospel wakefulness. To wake up to, be alert to, be alive to the sufficiency of the gospel. It comes to us in two ways, this call to wake up. First, it's a wake up and remember. Wake up and remember. Look at what we see here in verses 2 and 3. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So wake up. I'm telling you as king over everything that your spiritual decline is so bad that you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. And in verse 3, remember then what you received and heard. What a startling, jolting call to wake up from spiritual lethargy for us as individuals, but also collectively together, corporately together as a church. It's a call to wake up from the things that we've been lazy about spiritually. Or maybe we've been just uninterested. And maybe it's because we've we've lost sight of how incredibly glorious God is to us through the gospel. His grace is poured out in full measure to us through the person and work of Jesus. And and we've, we've sort of lost sight of how radically amazing that is. So wake up to this. We are not actually called to a life of a low profile, sneak through life kind of work. We're called to be a city on a hill.
We are called to wake up and remember. And remember. Remember what? Remember what we have heard and we have received. That is, to remember the gospel. The church, the people, we receive and hear the gospel. And the gospel is not a suggestion. The gospel is not some piece of advice. The gospel is not a spiritual mantra. It is the announcement of the historical reality of redemption. That is the gospel. It is the sovereign God graciously saving sinners through the sacrifice of His Son, and that all who look to Jesus, trusting in His life, death, and resurrection, get this, will be saved. It is the announcement of the historical reality of redemption. It demonstrates God fulfilling His biblical promise to redeem. I love 1 Corinthians 15. The very beginning, it gives us this historical reality to us. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So what was it that he preached? For I delivered to you as of first importance, primary importance, supreme importance, the key thing that makes, that unlocks all that we understand God to be doing in the history and the world and everything is all wrapped up right here. Be awake to this. Remember this. And what does he go on to say? What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance of the Scriptures. This is historical reality, fulfilling biblical promise of redemption. That's the gospel. Remember this. Remember this. This wake-up call is urgent. Because when we lose sight of what is of first importance, spiritual decline and death will soon follow for our church. First importance. And this wake-up call to remember the gospel also implies the ongoing relevancy of the gospel to our spiritual vitality in worship, community, and mission. Author Jared Wilson, in his book, Gospel Wakefulness, which I'm just stealing his little title there, don't care, (laughs) he defines gospel wakefulness in this way, awake to treasure Christ more greatly and to savor his power more sweetly. The ongoing relevancy of the gospel for our individual lives, our families, and our church is that we grow at treasuring Christ more greatly and savoring his power more sweetly. And this wakefulness happens to us, as Wilson goes on to say, at the intersection of profound brokenness and beholding the glory of the gracious Christ. We are awake when we realize our need for Jesus. We are awake when we realize our our place with God, relating to him and him to us, is only by his grace through the completed work of Jesus Christ. When we're awake to the profound overwhelming 
bondage of sin and the rescuing, redeeming work of Jesus. And it fuels our treasuring Christ more greatly and savoring his power more sweetly. So we as individuals and we as a church, when we have that intersection of realizing the real sort of heaviness of sin in our hearts and in our lives, in our communities, our culture, our world, the brokenness that is brought on by sin. And then God's answer to that sin through the completed work of Jesus Christ and that coming to us by grace. We are awake. I'll never forget the angry tears of a 60-year-old who had been in church for decades saying to me, why hasn't anyone told me this? That this, what I just said about the gospel. Why hasn't anyone told me this decades in life in the church? So why then do we have a treasured Christ through all of life vision and philosophy of ministry here? Why is that the aim? Why are we going to make so much of this together? Because spiritual decline is real. And the grace and glory of Christ are worth it. And so we are called to wake up and remember this. Not sleep on the gospel. Not treat it as if it's just advice or a mantra. It is the announcement of a sovereign and gracious God bursting into time and history to accomplish something that we could never do, to give us what we could never gain, to bring us to where we could never go. He did that because of his grace. So let's not be a used-to-be church. Instead, let's be a keep-it-going church. And that's what he says next there in verse 2, or 3. Keep it and repent. Keep it and repent. Keep it and repent is the practical outworking of the call to wake up and remember. Instead of being a used-to-be church, be a keep-it-going church. Keep on waking. Keep on remembering. Keep on making much of all that God is and has done for us through Christ. Keep on applying that to our lives together in a community that is open and honest and real about sin and all the more eager to encourage each other to the grace of God in the person of Christ. Keep it going instead of being a used to be. The call to keep and repent shows that the gospel shapes and strengthens how we live out our worship, how we live out our community, and how we live out our mission. Let's be a keep it going church, a church that is awakened to the gospel. And as I was wrestling with this, thinking this through, in light of spiritual decline and how sometimes that can be imperceptible and that really the best way to go about countering spiritual decline is to keep it going in terms of waking and remembering of who God is and what he has done for us and how that applies to our lives. So I want us to be encouraged to think through these things together. A gospel-wakened church has a certain level of awarenesses. A certain level of awarenesses about itself and about 
the needs present. First is, a gospel-awakened church will have the awareness that spiritual decline is real, and the only antidote is a steady gospel diet. Spiritual decline is real. We're aware to that. And the only antidote to such decline is a steady, ongoing, treasuring of diet of the gospel. That we would labor together to not borrow from the past, but pursue a greater grasp of all that God is to us through Christ. And we'd be aware to these things. And we'd be aware to a bad diet, no exercise, can have adverse effects on our body. Steady diet with some good exercise gives us strength and energy in each day, physically. Very similarly, spiritually speaking, individually and as a church, a bad diet with no exercise, where we're not making much of the gospel to each other and to those outside of us, is going to have adverse effects on us as a church. But conversely and positively, good diet good exercise, living out boldly what we have received in the gospel. Oh, that gives strength. It brings warmth to our corporate worship. It brings purpose to our time together as a community. And it, it, gives, us, it gives us a passion to be on mission, to make much of this Jesus to those who are lost and broken and hurting and confused in this darkened world. Ah, oh, to be a light in a dark place, to be a city on a hill. We're aware of the spiritual decline is real. And the only antidote, the only antidote, only being a key word there, is a steady diet of the gospel. Secondly, a gospel wakened church will have awareness that the pressures and pulls of the world around are constant. They're constant. They don't stop. Tides always in. Undertoes always strong. It never takes a break. Never says, oh, I'm just going to take this Sunday off. Doesn't do that. So why do we? Why do we do that? Why do we think that we can go take a break? The pressures and the pulls of this world around are constant. No, we need, we need to see that the only strength to endure is a fresh gospel awareness together in corporate worship, together in community, when we're building into each other's lives, encouraging each other, equipping each other, building each other up, being constant in each other's lives. Not just dusting around each other, saying, hey, how are you? I'm good, and then moving on. No, the only strength is to endure in a fresh gospel awareness together in corporate worship, in community, and then also together on mission. We have the most glorious news to announce. There's a king over everything and he has provided a way for you to be with him. I know the way. Come with me. Let me show you. What better news do we have to share? The reality is that there will always be obstacles and oppositions. Actually, obstacle and opposition is not an anomaly. It's the reality. It's the norm. Yet, friends, we have one who has overcome that reality, giving us the needed courage. I love John 16, 33. 
Jesus speaking, he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have all kinds of obstacles and opposition in the world. Life is going to be hard. Evil is real. But take heart. That is, be of courage. I have overcome the world. Yes, there will be pressures and there will be pulls. And they will not stop. Our strength to endure is found in a fresh gospel awareness. Thirdly, a gospel-awakened church will have the awareness to the worth and wonder of Christ that it is sufficient and sweet for our worship. One of the things about being awake is that you see Jesus as worth it in increasing ways. He's a treasure that doesn't diminish in value. It only expands and multiplies the more you study it and see it and grasp it. I love in... uh, um, uh, the, uh, I forget which one now. Shoot. It's in one of the Chronicle of Narnia series where Lucy sees Aslan again. It's a, it's a later book. Oh, bless. I don't know, maybe. And she says to him, you look bigger. I'm not. You're just growing. And as you grow, I get bigger to you. So similar. And I totally paraphrase that. Sorry, C.S. Lewis. Um, so it is for us. That as we treasure Christ, we see how expansive he is in his worth and wonder. It do, he doesn't stop getting bigger. He doesn't stop getting bigger. And to be awake to the treasure of Christ and the sweetness of his grace and the goodness of his glory fuels our worship. It brings warmth to our wonder. To be a people who gather together amazed at Jesus, not sort of mumbling through songs together, but amazed that God would care so much for us to send one so sufficient as Jesus, to be amazed at his grace and his glory, to be awake to that, to be alive to that. Spiritual decline wants to take us away from that sort of treasure in Christ, to be an empty shell of what we used to be. No, and constant diet of holding up and out to each other, together, the worth and wonder of Jesus. And then lastly, fourthly, gospel awakened church has the awareness that the work and witness of the church has no greater pursuit than holding up and holding out the gospel. That we have nothing greater in our pursuit together with one another, for one another, and together on mission is then to hold up and hold out to each other all that God is and all that God has done for us, in us, to us, by us, with us, through us, than what we see in the gospel. We make much of what we treasure, don't we? Like a great meal or an awesome vacation. You have a story to tell and you can't wait to share it. The more we treasure Christ, the more we see how expansive he is, incredible he is, his grace and his glory. It's going to propel our hearts to want to tell others to each other, to encourage and equip and build up each other, to be intentional in each other's lives. All the more to say, let's go look at that treasure again. And to be that in the lives of people who are asking, 
this world to give a treasure it does not possess to them? We have that opportunity together. Two Saturdays from today, we're going to launch a men's discipleship collective to help us go about that very work. On Saturday, January 29th, 6 to 8 p.m. here at Trinity, we're going to gather together for worship. We're going to gather here together to be encouraged, to be built up, to be uh, all the more um, challenged, but, but in a loving way, to be all the more intentional in each other's lives. And so to the men in this building, to the men who are watching online, or to the wives who are watching who want to encourage their men to come. I want you to be there. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting us to, to take this seriously. To be awake to who Jesus is together. And to, and to not let any spiritual decline or lethargy happen in our lives. And that we as men would be in each other's lives in such a way to encourage and build each other up for this. I hope it launches something in the life of our church. I hope it launches us onward and forward with great joy and hope. So I hope to see you there. We'll have guest speaker, guest worship leader, and we're going to do that quarterly. And in the cracks and in between all those quarterly events, we're going to encourage discipleship groups to form where we're investing in each other's lives, meaningful ways helping each other come to treasure Jesus more. We have no greater pursuit than to hold up and hold out the gospel to each other and to hold it out to others together. A lack of awareness to these things reveals spiritual decline and it leads to death of corporate worship. It leads to death of community. It leads to death of mission of a church. So we need to wake up to the seriousness of spiritual decline, that its lethargy leads to death of our gospel witness. We need to wake up also to the grace and glory of King Jesus. Wake up through the gospel. Its vitality brings glory to God, and it brings good news to the lost. Trinity has a rich history and heritage of gospel vitality. But there are also warning signs of spiritual decline and lethargy. So let us together as a church family wake up to the grace and glory of God through a fresh awareness of the sweetness and sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May this fuel our worship. May it sustain and strengthen our community. And may it embolden our mission to make much of who God is and what God has done through the greatest news of all the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would indeed do that work in us and through us. I pray that there would be a great sense of joy and peace and the sense of knowing who you are and what you have done for us, that it would embolden us all the more to make much of you together in worship, that it would embolden us all the more to be intentional and to care for one another in such a way as to say, hey, let us treasure Jesus together and may it embolden us to make much of our King to the world around. God, may Trinity be a light in a dark place. May it be a city on a hill. God, would you do good work in and through us. Help us wake up and remember. Keep it going. 
God, we pray in Jesus' name. To the one message, one message, Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, 